Art Ehrman is a, an author and a professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. When Ehrman was 15 years old, he made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, after graduating from high school as a young adult, he went off to two major evangelical universities, Moody Bible Institute and then Wheaton College. Eventually, though, Ehrman rejected his faith, and now he considers himself an agnostic. Despite not believing what we believe about Jesus, Ehrman does believe that Jesus existed, and he believes that Jesus died on the cross. He wrote these words, With respect to the death of Jesus, for example, there are very good reasons, indeed, for being relatively certain that Jesus went from his home country of Galilee to the city of Jerusalem the last week of his life in order to celebrate the Passover meal. That there he aroused the anger of the Jewish leaders and Roman authorities. He was arrested, put on trial by the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, found to be guilty of treason against the state, and crucified. That basic story is reported in all the Gospels, and I think it is almost certainly right. This man who is a New Testament scholar, an unbeliever, but someone who has studied the New Testament documents and thought about what they say, Though he has rejected everything that our faith teaches, he has come to the conclusion that Jesus was a historical person and that Jesus did, in fact, die on the cross. And of all the claims of Christianity, of all the things that we as Christians believe and hold dear, this is probably the least controversial of them. Most people believe and agree that Jesus died on the cross. Just as Bart Ehrman said, most people believe this. Most people agree that Jesus died on the cross. The place where people disagree is on the meaning of Christ's death on the cross. Though most people agree that Jesus died on the cross, people disagree about what his death means. It's the significance of Jesus' death. Where disagreement comes in. And here in the Gospel according to Luke, the passage I read to you earlier in this video, we read of the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. The last message in this series, the one that we showed you last Sunday, began telling us about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And we began our reading today in the middle of his crucifixion in verse 34. And at the end of verse 34, while Jesus is hanging on the cross, the Bible says, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And from this point forward, Luke begins to record for us the various reactions to the cross of Jesus Christ the different responses that people had to the man, Jesus Christ, who was crucified before them. Most people agree that Jesus died on the cross, 
but people disagree about what his death means. Some people think it means nothing. And we see that at the end of verse 34. The soldiers who crucified Jesus were not watching him. They were not listening to what he had to say. Instead, the gospel according to Luke says, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. While Christ himself was dying on the cross before them, these men were gambling. They were playing a game of chance. They had seen who knows how many crucifixions before. And even though Christ was unique among the men who died this way by the Roman Empire, these men had no care, no concern for him whatsoever. They didn't think his death meant anything different than the death of either thief on either side of him. And so instead of paying attention to Jesus as he died on the cross, they took the clothing off of him. And especially the robe that Herod's soldiers had given him. Remember earlier in this chapter, we read that Herod's soldiers put a royal robe on Jesus in order to mock him. Now, probably a different group of soldiers is playing a game of chance to get all of Jesus' clothes and decide who gets what. But the most coveted prize was probably that robe that was put on him, that was given to him to mock him by Herod's guards. To them, the crucifixion of Jesus meant nothing. They were completely unmoved by his death. And sad to say, but there are people today who feel the same way. There are people in every era of history who are unmoved by the crucifixion of Jesus. They may know as a historical fact that Jesus died on the cross, but they don't think it means anything. They are indifferent to his suffering and his death. To them, it means nothing. In verses 35 through 39, we see a different response. It's really the same response, but it's shown to us in different types of people who watched Jesus as he hung on the cross. And so let's look together again at verse 35, and let me read through verse 39. Luke chapter 23, verse 35 says, The people stood watching. And these are probably the people who followed Jesus on the road, saw him on his way to be crucified, or people who had heard about what was happening. They are passive. But the passage goes on in verse 35 and says, The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. These rulers are the Jewish rulers, the Sanhedrin. They are the people who put Jesus to death, they are his enemies. And the Bible says they sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Verse 36 says, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then verse 38 tells us, there was written above him a notice which read, this is the king of the Jews. Now that last statement there in verse 38, that there was a notice above his head that said, this is the king of the Jews, was customary for crucifixions. Remember the Romans crucified people in order really to send a message. They crucified people to 
show the people who were under them like the Jewish people were, who were under their rule, under their empire. Don't mess with the mighty Roman government. And so in order for for people to get the message, they created this horrific, painful method of crucifying people on a cross. But they also notified everyone as to what their crime was. This notice that says, this is the king of the Jews was the legally required customary notice of what the crime that the man being executed had committed. And above Jesus' head, it just merely says, this is the king of the Jews. Now those who were trying to come to grips with what Jesus' death meant at the foot of the cross, those who watched Jesus being crucified, and who are described here in verses 35 through 39, they have a different reaction than the soldiers who gambled for his clothes. The soldiers who gambled for Jesus' clothes thought his death meant nothing. The people we just read about in verses 35 through 39, though, think his death proves something. And that is they think it proves that he is a fraud. Many people think that the death of Jesus Christ proves that he is a fraud. And again, there are different types of people who come to this conclusion and make this statement here in this passage of Scripture. Verse 35 says the people stood watching, and it doesn't tell us what their reaction to the cross of Christ is, but those words are followed with these, and the rulers, that is the Sanhedrin, even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And I told you already that this was the Sanhedrin. These were the men who put Jesus to death. And they'd been monitoring his ministry for the entirety of the three years in which he had been preaching and teaching. They'd heard his claim to be the Son of God and his claim to be the Messiah. And they'd seen and heard about the mighty miracles that Jesus did. And so that's why they say in verse 35, he saved others, let him save himself. They say, okay, here's the miracle worker who's who's raised the dead and who's restored limbs and made blind eyes to see and deaf ears to hear. But if he's so powerful now, if he really is God's chosen one, the Messiah, then he needs to prove it by getting himself down off this cross. And of course, they had no expectation, no belief that he would do that. They thought it proved the fact that they were able to crucify him and that he did not come down off the cross. They thought it was proof that Jesus was a fraud. That's the religious leaders. But notice that the secular authorities also see it this way. Some religious leaders saw it that way, but also some secular authorities saw it that way. They believed that Jesus was a fraud and proved so by his crucifixion. In verse 36, it says, The soldiers, and these are the Roman soldiers, some maybe of the ones who had just gambled for his clothes, those who had whipped him and led him to this place of crucifixion, those who had nailed him to the cross and hung him in the air, they also couldn't pass by the opportunity to make fun of Jesus. And so verse 36 says, they came up and mocked him. When it says they offered him wine vinegar, and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. This offering him wine vinegar is another way of mocking him. It was, wine vinegar was a cheap type of wine. And by offering it to him, it was offering it to him like, oh, you mighty king, here, have a drink on me. It was that sort of mocking offering. 
And so these secular authorities who don't care anything about the Jewish faith or what Jesus claimed to be or who he might have been, they also join in the mocking of Jesus. They're not moved by his death at all. And they're not moved by the trial that they may have witnessed, nor are they moved by the notice above him. Instead, they join in the mocking chorus and believe that Jesus is a fraud. But maybe most surprising of all is that the criminal, one of the criminals that was crucified with Jesus also thought his crucifixion proved that he was a, thro- a fraud. Some religious leaders see it that way, some secular authorities see it that way, and some criminals even see it that way. Verse 39 says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. And again, in last Sunday's message, we saw how Christ was crucified in the middle, and on either side of him there were other Roman prisoners who were crucified. And verse 39 says, one of them joined in this taunting. He too was an unbeliever in Jesus. He too thought the fact that Christ was hanging on the cross like he was, was proof that Jesus was a fraud. In verse 39, he says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah, the chosen one, the Christ, the anointed? Aren't you the king who is coming to save us from Rome? Then save yourself and us. He joins the challenge of Jesus and says, prove to us that you're the Messiah. Save your neck and ours as well, and we'll join your revolution. But of course, he didn't say that with even an ounce of faith in his heart. This man, this criminal, joined in the taunting of Jesus Christ because they believed the fact that he was crucified made him a fraud. These attitudes still persist today. People across all walks of life, religious, secular, people who are guilty before the state and before God, still look at the cross of Christ and think it proves that he was not the Messiah, that he was not the Savior of the world, but that, in fact, he was a fraud. Bart Ehrman, who I talked about earlier, sees it this way. He wrote in a different place, "...the crucifixion would have proved beyond any doubt to anyone paying attention." That Jesus was not the Messiah, after all. Rather than overcoming the enemy to establish a new kingdom, he was squashed by the enemy, publicly humiliated and tortured to death. That was the opposite of what would happen with the Messiah. Ehrman here is not just describing the unbelief of the people who watch Jesus. He's not talking about their skepticism. He's saying... This is his belief. This is why he is no longer considering himself a believer in Christ. This is why he now calls himself an atheist or an agnostic. Because Jesus, in his mind, by dying on the cross, failed to live up to his claim to be Messiah. And maybe you're watching this webcast, and that's your opinion as well. Maybe you believe that the fact that Jesus did not deliver himself from the cross, but in fact died on the cross, proves that he was not the great teacher or the Son of God or the Messiah that he claimed to be. Maybe you, like these in our passage, see it as evidence that Christ was not who he claimed to be, but rather 
that he was a fake, a phony, a fraud. If so, I would like you to consider the words of the man who spoke next in our passage. Because although some people who witnessed the death of Jesus Christ thought it meant nothing, and others thought it proved that he was a fraud, there was one man who got very great significance from the death of Jesus Christ. And he saw it as the path to eternal life. Most people believe that Jesus died on the cross, but people disagree about what his death means. And some people, we call ourselves Christians, some people believe it is the path to eternal life. Look with me at verse 40 through verses uh, through verse 43, which says, But the other criminal rebuked him. So he hears the mocking of his co-crucified one. He hears him mocking Jesus and joining in the scorn against Christ. And verse 40 says he rebuked him. Don't you fear God? And the fear of God he's talking about here is the fear of God's punishment. This man knows that his life on earth is going to end soon. And he knows that the other man crucified with him, as well as Christ, is also going to die soon. And in his mind, after dying for their sins on this earth, these two criminals will stand before God and give an account of their life. And he's terrified. Because he knows that he's guilty not only of whatever crimes the Romans put him to death for, but of many other sins against a holy God. And so he asks the other man who was crucified with him in Jesus, don't you fear God? And he says, here's why you should fear God. Since you are under the same sentence, you're also dying for your sins, like I am. Doesn't that concern you at all? That's his question. Verse 41 says, we are punished justly. Here the man acknowledges his sin. He publicly proclaims that the Romans were right to put him to death. And he implicates the other man, too, and says, you also deserve this, and you know it. We deserve, and we are punished justly, he says in verse 41, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. If you read Roman law, it spells out what things and what crimes result in the death penalty. And this man says, after being examined... In a legal trial for what we have done, we deserve to be crucified. But at the end of verse 41, he says this, But this man has done nothing wrong. He implicates himself and the other criminal, but he exonerates Jesus with his words. Perhaps he witnessed the trial of Jesus and heard Pontius Pilate say three times that Jesus had done nothing wrong that would deserve the sentence of death. Maybe he's heard Jesus' teaching before or heard of his reputation. But one way or another, somehow this man is the only one of this group who sees the truth about Christ. He recognizes that Jesus is an innocent man, that he is dying not for his own sins, and that he does not deserve to be put to death. And so, With the eyes of faith, he looks to Jesus, and in verse 42 he says, Then he said, Jesus, 
Remember me when you come into your kingdom. An astounding statement. Everyone else was mocking Jesus, saying, you think you're the king of the Jews. How do you like your kingdom now? Just a few days ago, you came into Jerusalem on a colt, and people proclaimed you the king of the Jews, and they shouted hosannas to you. But now here you are dying. You wore a crown of thorns, but you'll never wear the crown of Israel. The kingdom you think you came to bring is over. But this man says, no, I, Jesus, I understand. Someday you are going to be crowned king, and your kingdom will be eternal. When that happens, Jesus, he says in verse 42, remember me. What he's saying is, include me in your kingdom. Forgive me for the sins that I have committed. And grant that I'll be someone who exists and lives under your eternal rule and in your kingdom. This man sees Jesus for who he is, and he sees the significance of the cross of Christ, and he understands somehow by the grace of God that this is the path to eternal And so he asks Jesus, in essence, to save him so that he will exist in that eternal kingdom with Christ. But then Jesus says something really remarkable in verse 43. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This man understands that at some point in the future, Jesus is going to raise all the dead and judge them. And he will send most of the dead who didn't believe in him and who sinned against God into eternal punishment. But those who did believe him will go into eternal life in his kingdom. And so he says, when that happens, Jesus, when you raise me from the dead, count me among those who belong in your kingdom. But Jesus doesn't say, okay, someday when it happens, you'll be there. No, he says to him, truly I tell you, and this is something Jesus said when he really wanted to emphasize and highlight something. In older translations, it says truly, truly, or verily, verily. This is something Jesus said when he really wanted you to understand that this was something you could take to the bank. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus said, you can have the assurance that when your life is over, you'll be welcomed into the presence of God. And you can worship me there. This man received assurance of eternal life because he saw Jesus for who Jesus really is. He believed that he is the Son of God. He believed that he is the Messiah. And in believing in Jesus and calling out to him in faith, he received the assurance of eternal life. Most people believe that Jesus died on the cross. Where we differ is what that means. Some people don't think it means anything at all. Some people think the fact that Jesus died means he was a fraud. But some of us see the death of Christ as the path to eternal life. And so what does the death of Jesus mean? The answer is the major point for today's message. It's the big idea for this Good Friday service. And that is that the death of Jesus means we can have wide open access to God. That is the promise and the point 
of Christ's death on the cross. And we see that in our text as Jesus finally does die in verse 44. It says, Now it was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And so here when the sun should have been the brightest and the hottest of the entire day, the Bible says it was blackened out. And because of the time of year in which this happened, it could not have been from a naturally occurring eclipse. And so why does the sun go dark, according to verse 44? It says in verse 45, for the sun stopped shining. Why does this happen? The answer is, if you study the Bible, that darkness is always associated with the wrath of God. And Christ is dying on the cross because he is receiving the wrath of God, not for his own sins, but for the collective sins of his people. The darkness that's described in verses 44 and 45 tell us that God is bringing his judgment down upon Jesus Christ. But verse 45 goes on to say this, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now to understand this statement and the significance of it, you need to understand that the temple where God's people worshipped was divided into sections. And each section, as you went deeper and deeper into it, was more and more exclusive until you finally reached what is called the most holy place or the holy of holies. That was a place where the Ark of the Covenant of God, the the visible expression of God's presence was kept. And no one was allowed to go in there except the high priest and only once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and only after he had gone through an elaborate cleansing ritual. And the purpose for him going in to that special room, the Holy of Holies, was to offer atonement for the people of God. But now the Bible says that curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy place where the priests did most of their ministry throughout the year. The curtain that separated those two was torn as Jesus was dying on the cross. That's what verse 45 is saying when it says, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. As Jesus was dying, that curtain that separated the most holy place, the visible place where God's presence was, was ripped open. Why was it ripped open? It was to symbolize and show the significance of the death of Christ. It was to show us what Jesus' death means. People disagree about what it means, but God's word is clear about what it means. It means that the access to God is now wide open for us. Access to God is wide open because Christ's death atoned for our sins. When the priest would bring the, the sacrifice the day, on the Day of Atonement. It was to atone for the sins of the people, and that means to appease the wrath of God with the sacrifice. But the Bible tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, there was no need for that curtain any longer because His death atoned for sins, and it did it for real. Animal sacrifices, the Bible says, could never really atone for sin. Only the death of an innocent man, the Son of God, 
could take away God's wrath against us because of our sins. And that's what Christ did on the cross. This is why we have access to God. Access to God is open because Christ's death atoned for our sins. And when the curtain was torn in two, according to these verses, we are being told that God accepted his death as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. This is why we talk in in the Christian world about the vicarious atonement of Christ. Vicarious means he died in our place or for our sins. And the tearing of the curtain in the temple shows that God accepted the substitution of Christ for us. That as God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus as he died on the cross, the sins of the rest of us, you and me, who have sinned against God, were atoned for by his death. And Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26 say this. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us is guilty before a holy God, just like the two thieves who were crucified with Jesus. But the passage quickly adds this, and are justified, that is, are treated as if we are not guilty, we are treated as if we are innocent. That's what justified means. We are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Redemption means to buy back, and Christ bought us back from the wrath of God with his death on the cross. And the next verse, verse 25, says this, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. When Jesus died on the cross, he was presenting himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And it says Continuing in verse 25 of Romans chapter 3, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. This is why the death of Christ is at the very core of our faith as Christians. Because we could not atone for our sins, Jesus came and stood in our place. He received the wrath of God. And by dying on the cross and offering his life for us, he atoned for our sins so that God could be just. Every sin was punished, but also justify those who look to Jesus in faith. And because Christ died on the cross for us, now we have access to God. This is why that criminal could say, let me come into your kingdom. Because somehow with the eyes of faith, he understood that Jesus died for him in his place. And now access to God was available to him, even though he was a sinner. And if you're watching this or listening to this, and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're a sinner as well. All have sinned, this passage says. But if you come to God in faith and believe that Jesus died for you, you can be justified before God and received into his eternal kingdom. Why? Because God accepted Jesus' death as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. And the reason that Jesus could be justified is this. The reason he could substitute for us, I should say, is that he could be our substitute because he was righteous and did not deserve to die. In verses 47 through 49, we see some of the reactions of the crowd to the death of Jesus. 
And verse 47 says, the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God. And how did he praise God? He praised God by what he said next. And so it says, he praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. Even though the soldiers gambled for the clothing of Christ, the leader, the one who was chosen by the Roman to lead the Roman Empire, to lead a hundred men, somehow he saw the innocence of Jesus Christ. And he proclaimed him to be a righteous man. In verses 48 and 49 says, When all the people who gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. The Romans knew that he was righteous and didn't deserve to die. Pilate said as much. And now the centurion says the same thing. The people of Jerusalem, the ones who were party to his death, after watching him die, all of a sudden are convicted about what they have done. They realize, too, that Jesus is an innocent man. And his followers, who are described in the last verse, verse 49, those who knew him, stood at a distance watching these things. They knew that he was righteous and didn't deserve to die. And so Jesus could atone for our sins. He could be our substitute because he was perfect. Because he was both God and man, he could stand in for us. And 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous, just like the centurion called Jesus, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's me and you and every one of us. Why? To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. Why did Jesus die? Why did the righteous one stand in for us, the unrighteous? It's so that we could come to God, so that the access to God could be thrown open. No longer is God hidden behind a veil. Now, everyone who comes to Christ in faith has full access to God. So access to God is open because Christ's death atoned for our sins. And because of his death, now sinners are welcomed by God. Listen to these incredible words from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 23. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, you can't enter the most holy place. Only the high priest can do that, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement, and only with blood, and only after an elaborate cleansing ritual. But now the veil is torn, and access to God is open to us. And so he says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Just as Jesus' body was torn open, so in a sense he was tearing open the veil of the temple so that we could know God. And then verse 22 goes on and says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the faith that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. This is the blessing that comes from the death of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died for us, you and I can know God and we can access God. We can talk to God in prayer we can be received by God even though we are imperfect because Christ, the righteous and perfect one, died for us. Have you come to the place in your life where you have turned to him for forgiveness of your sins? 
so that you can know God and be welcomed into His eternal kingdom when your life on this earth is over. If not, let me urge you to trust Jesus Christ today. Turn from your sins, confess them, and believe that Jesus died for you. And like the man who died along with Jesus, who had faith in him, you can be assured that when your life is over, you will be welcomed into the presence of God that very moment. Because of Christ's death, sinners are welcomed by God. What does the death of Christ mean? It means something really important. It means that we can have wide open access to God. If you're a Christian, that's what we remember and what we celebrate about the death of Christ. Christ died for our sins so that we could know God. And so as we rejoice in these truths on Good Friday, as we remember our Lord Jesus Christ, we can celebrate the access that we have to God by his death for us on the cross.